1 Corinthians chapter 13. Last week, we started a, a new series, a, kind of a mini-series, if you will, uh, called Love Is, and the purpose of this series is, is really twofold. Number one, it's to understand uh, what love really is, to what true love is, and number two, which is to understand how that love should our lives as believers. Now, we started last week by looking at what love is in, from 1 Corinthians 13, which is agape love, and we saw that that is the type of love that, that reaches uh, out to one another with no strings attached. It's a love that uh, sacrifices itself on behalf of, uh, on of behalf of else with no thought of what you might receive in return. It's a love that, that starts with God and that flows to us through Christ and then is given out from us to other people, and, and it is always an act of the will. This type of love is not, it's not about our feelings, it, it's about action, and it's about a choice that we make. It is an act of our will, if you will. And so that's what we kind of saw last week. We, we saw, uh, the, then we saw also the importance of this type of love from the very beginning part of 1 Corinthians 13, which tells us that this type of love is greater than anything we can say. It's greater than our words. And then we saw that it is greater than our actions, um, the things that we do, and it's greater than our service, uh, even the things we do for the Lord. And then Paul's going to pick that up now, and we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, and we're going to begin to examine and look at what this looks like, what this type of love looks like in the life of a believer. So if you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 4 and read down through verse 7. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we begin to examine it, Father, I pray that I would decrease, and your spirit living in me would increase, and the words would be shared would be yours and not mine. Father, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross today, that I may speak your word uh, with truth and with boldness that may have the effect that you intend for it to have in the hearts and the lives of all of us that are here this morning, that you'd receive the glory and honor for that is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, our culture throws the word love around an awful lot. This last week, there were millions of, uh, of cards that were bought, uh, sent, and even received, if you will, for, in order for someone to confess their, their love for one another. Maybe uh, a card for a spouse or for a child or maybe to your parents. Uh, to your grandchildren or grandparents, or maybe if you were lucky, you might have even gotten one from a brother or a sister uh, for Valentine's Day. And so we've celebrated Valentine's Day, and it's a multi-million dollar holiday. Uh, I'm always amazed because I thought, man, what a, what a difference if we would just wait and celebrate it the next day, because the day after Valentine's Day, I was in Walmart, and everything was like, get rid of. So their roses were like less than 
And I thought, man, I should have just told my family we're going to celebrate this the day after Valentine's Day. But it's a multi-million-dollar holiday where we we spend millions of dollars to to confess with our mouth or through a card uh, our love for one another. Uh, however, I've come to the conclusion when it comes to true love, and that's this: that that words really mean nothing if they're not backed up by action. You see, we, we hear that, that word, uh, we hear words like, uh, or we hear sayings like, talk is cheap. And when it comes to love, I believe that is absolutely true. I mean, we can say we love someone, but I believe our actions must show that. When I was a youth pastor for 10 years, um, I, I saw the devastating effects of allowing the words of someone uh, to take place uh, in place of action. Uh, I, I would particularly see this in, in our girls in our youth group, um, and, and they would they would really struggle, and and then the, they would have to deal with the devastating effects. And I and I, one of the one of the sayings I would hear that just 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 hurt me to the core was, "Well, he said he loved me," and, and I would t- I would teach my sponsors and those that are that were really investing in the girls, you need to make sure they understand that talk is cheap. It's not about the words, it's about the actions. And so we would talk about this and we see some of that stuff going on today. And I believe often in the church, we too sometimes are guilty of maybe talking the talk when it comes to love, but not really walking the walk when it comes to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I had someone tell me one time, and uh, and it's really sad, but it is kind of true that um, the the... The church is one of the only organizations that tends to shoot its wounded. When, when people are hurting, instead of reaching down to help, a lot of times we're, we're guilty of just reaching down to kick or punish or make worse. And, and that's not the way it should be. And Paul, in our text, I think he goes to great lengths to describe what, what true love really looks like. And it's not necessarily about our words. Now, I believe our words can play a part of this, but it's not about our words, it's about our actions, and you can really divide these actions up into two categories, I want to give them to you uh, this morning, and, and the first one is, um, is love's choice. According to Paul, that, that true love, the type of love that we're to have for our other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and for ev- anyone, when we're to be loving, uh, it first off is there's a choice that has to be made. As a matter of fact, in verses and six, uh, Paul shows us three actions that, that true love chooses to do in order in relation to others. Now, I'm going to be talking about basically everything in that ver- in these verses, and there's a lot of individual things, but I'm not going to be going too much in detail because, to be honest with you, they're pretty self-explanatory. I mean, we really, when we start looking at it, it's pretty basic. And I think sometimes we run the risk of trying to make things harder than they were intended to be, okay? And so I'm going to look at them, at our, but we're, we're going to kind of get through them pretty quick. And, and I boiled down the, the love's choices really to three in, in verses four through six. The first one is love chooses to be patient. Love chooses patience. Look at verse four. He starts with it. Love is patient. Now that word patient literally means long-minded, if you will. And it it means uh, to persevere patiently and bravely uh, in in enduring misfortunes, if you will. And and maybe the trouble to be be mild and slow to to respond in anger or to avenge or to 
punish. It, it is, it's the idea of describing someone who has been wronged, but is very slow to give in to resentment or to despair or to anger, which leads to revenge or avenge. So Paul is describing one who has been wronged, but chooses not to respond. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of this stuff, when we look at it, it's going to go against the grain of our culture. It's not a part of our culture to, to not respond. We want to respond when we're wronged. But Paul says the first aspect of loving others is a choice to be patient. Now, again, this is a choice. This type of love goes beyond anything you're going to receive in return. It goes beyond our feelings. It goes beyond our emotions. It is an act of the will. We choose to be patient. When everything else, and, and, and we're not, we've been wronged, or we're enduring misfortunes, or we're going through problems, or there's trouble in our lives, instead of responding the way the world would, we are to respond with patience. And then he says, not only does love choose patience, but love chooses kindness. Look again at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, that Greek word for, for kind, literally it, it translated means to show oneself to be mild. Um, it, it means to, to be kind to, or to show or to use kindness. So true love is quick to be kind to others. It's, it's eager to, to reach out and to be helpful to, to one another. It's also being mild toward one another. You know, in, in my ministry in the church, um, I, I found it to be relatively sad, but, but very true. Um, kindness doesn't always exist in the church. And the way we know that is when things start to heat up or when there's an issue, in, in, instead of, of reacting mildly, our, our tempers begin to flare up and then our opinions begin to flare up and then our personalities begin to flare up. And before long, we are do, being anything but mild-mannered toward one another. But Paul says that the way we love our fellow believers in the world um, and the, is to be kind and be mild toward one another instead of being rude or hateful. Uh, true love chooses to be kind. Um, every now and then, I, I, I have phone call, and, and uh, she hadn't had to do this in a while, but, but, but early in my ministry when Jen and I were married, and even, even since I've been here a couple times, and it, it's not like I'm, I'm trying to be rude, um, but I guess I have a, a voice on the phone that she, she feels like it's coming across in a manner in which I didn't really mean for it to come across, but it's coming across, and I'll be talking, and I may be getting a little loud, not arguing, just, just talking, and she'll go, be nice. <laughs> and, I, and I get to thinking, that's what Paul's basically telling the church. Be nice. Like, we have to tell our kids that, right? Be nice. Why can't you just, just, you know what? I'm tired of you guys fighting. Just be nice. And that's what he's saying. Love chooses to be nice. You say, man, this is really profound, Brother Dwayne. No, it's re it really is profound. We make it harder than it needs to be. We, we want to talk about theology and doctrine and all those things are good. And Paul says, 
really, love is greater than all of that. And it really just is being patient and being kind. And number three, the third choice is love chooses the truth. Look at verse six. I'm going to come back and finish that, so don't think I'm going to skip everything. I just want to come back to the things we choose to do. Look at verse 6. He says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love chooses the truth. Now, I want you to know, love reveals itself in our actions when we reject evil and we rejoice in the truth. What that means to us is, and what we need to take from that is, love takes no pleasure in wrongdoing. Love takes no pleasure in injustice. Love is not happy when evil wins, okay? And and it takes no joy in evil being openly discussed. You know, I, I, you think about that. You know, I, I'm, I, one of the biggest hotbeds for gossip sometimes in the church are prayer chains. Now, we have a great prayer chain that works, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. But I've been in some churches where that wasn't about prayer. That was about passing along the gossip. Here's how you can tell. I'm only telling you this so you can pray for them. And then you start giving them all the juicy details of everything. But love doesn't rejoice in, in that. Why, why do you think that? Why do you think gossip is such a problem? Do you know the, the first step from, no, never mind, I'm not going to get off on that. I'm, I'm going to get away from that because I want to stay, stay on track where I'm at. What I want to say, though, is love chooses the truth, and it doesn't rejoice when truth is not winning. Love rejoices when truth wins. It's not happy when evil wins. I've heard this before, it's been a while, but when I left First Baptist Ada, I was scarred and I was hurt. There were some things that took place while I was there in my ministry. I felt like I was singled out. Um, I felt like I was um, unnecessarily um, uh, persecuted, if you will, if you want to use that word, for uh, the way I handled ministry, my philosophy uh, of ministry, and, um, and it was really hard for me. And I carried around some resentment for a few months. And I'd been gone for about two months when, when I got a phone call saying that, um, hey, just so you know, I want you to be aware, so-and-so, another staff member, has been asked to leave because he was having inappropriate conduct with uh, some female students in, in, in the church. And, um, I, and I, I was like, really? Okay. And then not a week later. I get another phone call. Hey, just so you know, the youth pastors had to resign because he was caught in multiple affairs with some women in the church. Now, those two in particular that had resigned were two of the main ones that were bringing the accusations against me to the pastor. And one of them happened to be the pastor's brother. And it was really hard for me not to go outside and shout from the rooftops. That's what you get. And to be honest with you, that's what I wanted to do. Until I remembered that um, it's not about me. And that, what, what they did, what both of them did, didn't just hurt that church. It hurt the image of Christ. Well, that's why we shouldn't rejoice when evil wins. We shouldn't be happy when someone we don't really care about falls into sin and is struggling with that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't feel good, and 
We shouldn't rejoice in evil, but instead we should rejoice in truth. We should rejoice in that which is right. Now, I want you to know that goes completely against the grain of modern life. I mean, we know everything. Everything about us knows one thing. Bad news sells, right? That's why you see bad news plastered to the front page of every newspaper, and any good news is found on page 75, if there is a page 75. I mean, we don't see good news on the front page. They don't put it there because it doesn't sell. We put bad news on the front page because that's what we sell. You go to Walmart, we see this. Why do you think they put the magazines like National Enquirer and all those right there by the aisle? Because gossip and, and evilness and that, that sells because it, 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 it really ties into our fleshly nature, what we desire. And so bad news sells and what Paul's saying is have nothing to do with that. We shouldn't rejoice in evil. We shouldn't rejoice when people are hurting. We should instead rejoice in the truth. We should take joy in what is true, what is good, what is right, what is holy, and what is pure. Love believes the best and is glad, is glad when it turns out to be true. That's love. So love makes a choice. Love chooses to be patient. Love chooses to be kind. Love chooses to reject evil and to rejoice in the truth. But that's not all there is to it. He goes on not only to say that love makes some choices of some things we need to do, but love actually has some refusals. There are some things that love not only chooses to do, but refuses to do. And I want to give them to you as well. And there are several of them. Again, kind of going to go through them quickly because they're pretty self-explanatory. But he starts with them in, in, verse, in verse 4 when he said, uh, love is not envious. So love refuses to be envious. Now that word envy literally means to burn with jealousy. That, now, I want you to know that is the sin of wanting what others have or what others received for yourself. It is to be jealous. It is to be envious of what they have. Now, listen, how do you and I, how do we respond to what others have or what others receive? Now, this isn't just about possessions. This, this could be a promotion at your job. This could be something that maybe they were asked to do that you weren't asked to do. It can even happen within the church. Maybe there was a position in the church you wanted to do, but the church went a different direction and asked this or asked that, and, and, and you were jealous or envious of the person that was asked that. Listen, I want you to know that's a, that's a problem in ministry. Yeah, Brother Justin probably attested this. I, I don't know. He may not. I know I've done this before, though. When you go to go to the conferences and you see someone up there asked to speak that you you know, and they're up there speaking and preaching, and you catch yourself going, "What did they ask him for? He can't even preach. Like I can do better than that." Yeah, I, I know I'm the only one that does that. Okay, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, I try not to do that. It's it's in our flesh. That's what we do. We compare, right? Why'd, why'd they ask so-and-so to do that? Why didn't they ask me to do that? I could have done that. You get, get a little envious, get a little jealous. You get a little jealous. Why didn't God call me to that church? Why did God call him to that church? Why did he do that? Why, didn't I, why am I here? Why, we get into this, and that's envy. And that's not what love is. Love refuses to be envious. You see, true love is revealed in us when we choose to refuse to be envious, and instead we are happy 
for our fellow brothers and sisters for what they do have. Now, I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics at all. I, I have been about every night. I, I like the Olympics. Um, and uh, I was kind of ahead of the curve because I saw an article yesterday saying uh, curling is the darling of this year's Olympics. And I can tell you, I can remember watching curling in 1998 when it was, uh, uh, when the uh, games were over in Norway, I think they were back then, or wherever they were. I can remember watching curling and just being enamored by it. I, I like curling, but I, I, uh, it's on and people watch it. But there's so many different types of things. But, but there's a group of skiers from the country, and, and they're, there's, they're all men, and they train together, they live together, they eat together, they do everything together, and they're known as the Flying Vikings. That's, that's what they've called themselves. I was really interested to hear them the other day uh, because they, they were all, all of them had an opportunity to win gold. All of them. They were that good. Like it was going to be, it was going to be pretty neat if someone other than them was on the stage. And so one of them wins and they got to talking about this for the news reporters, how they interviewed them. And it was really interesting to see that, that there was no jealousy among them. They could all win. But instead of being upset that they weren't the winner, they were just excited that one of them was. And so it wasn't about who won as long as they won. Now, it wasn't even a team sport. One of the Flying Vikings get a gold medal, no one else gets on the stage, and they don't get medals to go with him. They were excited in his reception of what he got. That's what love is. Love is not being envious, it's not being jealous someone else's has it's being happy for them and understanding that that's just not what god has for you and so it refuses to be envious number two it refuses to boast and be arrogant look at verse four love is patient love is kind love does, love does not envy and it is not boastful and is not arrogant now I put both of those together because they're very closely related now that word boastful i want you to get this because because i think it's really interesting uh, the greek word for boastful literally means windbag that's what it literally means. When we go around, we call people that. You're just a wind. Now, I don't know, but when I was a kid growing up, a windbag was a liar, okay? But in the Greek culture, a windbag was someone who was boastful in themselves. They were a braggart, okay? So they always had to talk about themselves. They're, that's what he's talking about. Love refuses to be the person who's always talking about themselves. It, it, I, it's not, I don't need to talk about myself. And arrogance means to be inflated with pride. Arrogance is not just pride, it means to be inflated with it or um, to be puffed up with it, if you will. It's to have an inflated opinion of yourself. And Paul says that we show love by refusing to boast or brag about ourselves or about anything we have or to be prideful and arrogant about who we are because we're not better than anyone else. If you know anything as a believer in Christ, you realize that in Christ there is no favoritism. That's what we know, because the Bible tells us that God doesn't show favoritism to one another. He is not, as a matter of fact, I like the way the King James put it, he is not a respecter of persons. What that means is he doesn't look more highly on one person than he does on another person. God does, is not a respecter of persons, so there's no reason to be arrogant, right? If you and I, in the eyes of our Father and in the eyes of our Savior, are the same and love the same and encourage the same and, and, and challenge the same, however, whatever you want to put in there, the same, then why would be, we need to be prideful and arrogant? 
I, I've got three beautiful kids, and it's, it's funny because I've got two girls that are daddy's girls, both of them, but you should hear them go back and forth about which one's the bigger daddy's girl. I've even been asked by, in the past by one of my three kids who I love the most. I'm like, I love all three of you the same. There is no better. You're all three of my children. I love you all the same. And that's the same way with God, and therefore they have no reason to brag and be prideful to one another. Now, I did when I was a kid growing up because my grandpa told me I was his favorite. Now, I've, when my grandpa passed away, I found out he had nine other grandkids that he told the same thing at some <laughs> other time in his life. But I tell you, we have no reason in the sight of God to play favorites or to be arrogant and prideful because we're no better than anyone else. And that's what he says. He says, love chooses to refuse to boast and to be arrogant about who you are and what you have. And then he says... Love refuses rudeness. Look at it again. Is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude. Now that word rude literally means to act unbecomingly. I like that. You don't hear that very often. Act unbecomingly. Matter of fact, one of the only places that I know of in our culture that you will hear it more than anywhere else is the military. And you can, in the military, do something wrong and be charged with um, conduct unbecoming. That is conduct that is not becoming of or, or not in line with their code of conduct. And that's what he's saying here. How, how much better would the church be received if we realized that rudeness was unbecoming of a believer? I'm not just talking about being rude to one another. That's one thing. How about being rude to lost people? It's my favorite. Well, they ought to know better. Really, no, they they're lost. Sorry. They don't know any better because they don't know Jesus. Like, you expect a lost person to act saved? Like, how? That's impossible. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. The Bible says the only way to, to not obey the, the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. The only way. Galatians 5. You walk in the spirit, you will, not obey, you will not obey the lust of the flesh. That's what he says. Paul says, Galatians 5. Okay, so we want someone to, to not walk according to the flesh and act saved, but they don't have the spirit, and the only way they can do that is to have the spirit, and we want that, and then when they don't do it, we're rude to them. You should have known better. That's not, that's not love. Listen, we can promote our message without being rude. Paul did it all the time. There's ways to, for, for us to take the message of the gospel and, and encounter a lost world and, and, and all that without being rude. We don't have to be rude. And that's what he said. Love refuses to be rude. Love is not rude. It's not rude to you. It's not rude to, to the world. Why? Because rudeness is unbecoming of a believer. It's not supposed to be who we are as people. Instead, our love should be polite and considerate of one another. Number four. He says that we ought to, or that love refuses to be self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. Self-seeking meaning the idea of demanding yourself. This is the person who basically is, this is the my way or the highway person. My way or the highway. If I don't get it my way, I'm gone. Now, 
in the church, in the, in the world, that ought to be true. Now, in my household, it, it kind of is in my way or the highway. I have to tell my kids that all the time. It's not a democracy. It's a dictatorship, okay? And when there's a co-rulers in this house, and I'm telling you, 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 and you, you aren't it. It's me and your mama, and that's just the way it goes, and you don't get a vote. Like, this is just how we do things in our house. But, but in the church, and, and, and what I'm talking about here is someone who's not always out to have their way, and then when they don't get their way, walk away. And that's what he says. He says, love is not self-seeking. It's not always about me. It's not always about I. It's not always about getting what I want. That's not what we should be doing. Instead of asking um, and demanding my way, we ought to be sitting back going, is this Jesus's way? Such a simple principle that became a multi-million dollar idea, the WWJD bracelets back in the 90s. Instead of saying, what should what so and so so we just should say what would jesus do instead of demanding my way we ought to just ask what jesus is this his way instead of asking is this better for me or is this better for others that's what paul would say because we are to esteem others as more important than ourselves so instead of saying is this better for me or better for the group you see it's not about me it's about us and so true love refuses to be self-seeking demanding its own way number five love refuses to be easily angered uh-oh When, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'll tell them myself. Um, when Jen and I uh, started dating, she had a list, and, um, and I encourage this. I did it when I was a youth pastor, too. But she had a list of characteristics of someone she would date. And when we started, when I got to know her in college and I began to want to date her, I asked her, um, you know, if we, we could date. And she had, she had went out with me, but not, not exclusively, if you, okay? And she told me no. And I said, what do you mean, <laughs> no? And she said, well, not yet. And she said, There's, I've got a list, and I am checking you against my list. And she had, I think, 26 things on the list. When it was all said and done, I met 25 of them. Um, but the one I didn't meet was that one, not easily angered. I had a temper problem, and I had a hard time controlling it sometimes. When I get mad, I got mad. My kids would go, he still has a temper problem. I don't know if they would or not. There's been times, probably. And as an or when I went to be ordained, it's something I worked hard on, not just so I could woo my future wife and begin to date her. It was something I worked on because I understood it was not right. And when I become, uh, when they wanted to ordain me, I struggled at, a little bit at first because the Bible says anyone that's going to be a man of God that's teaching the word of God can't be easily angered. And, and now that I have pastoring, I know exactly why that's true. Because it is easy to get in the flesh. But he says that's not what love is. Love refuses to be easily angered. Instead, we're to be easygoing, good-natured, quick to forgive. And then number six, love refuses to keep a record of wrongs. Love refuses to keep a record of wrongs. Now, that word wrongs literally means evil. And so what Paul is saying is that true love refuses to take into account or to keep account of a wrong that suffered that, that, um, that promotes or imputes evil. And instead, um, he doesn't brood over those. He doesn't want to impute evil back towards someone. It's someone who, who's not taking a record of what's happened to them. It's referring to those who basically keep lists. I had a, I had a grandma like that. And she, every time I do something she didn't like, she'd go, you're on my list. 
And I'd be like, uh, oh, okay. Uh, Jenna had a grandma like that, too. <laughs> You're on my list. And she'd say, and I wanted to ask, do you really have a list? And my dad said, don't ask her that. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, but that's what he's talking about. Don't, you're not keeping a list. You're not sitting there going, oh, well, you know, so-and-so did that in my life. Let me do that. Okay. Why do we keep those lists anyway? So the t- next time we have an argument or something comes up, we've got that as ammunition to use back. That's why we keep records of it, right? That's what we do with our spouse. Write that down. Next time she brings that up, I'm going to bring that back up and say, hey, on this day, at this time, I did that. You, you did that. See, I got it written down. I, this is even acceptable in a court of law because I've got a list. And he says, that's not what love is. Love is not about keeping record of your wrong. By the way, that's got to be exhausting. I think about that. I mean, how, how easy is it to wrong someone without even knowing you've done it? How easy do we go about through our day getting wronged and, and, and the person may not even have meant to, or they may have meant to and it happened? How exhausting would it be to be trying to keep track of all that? Now think about this. How in the world are you going to share love back with them, the ultimate sharing of love being given Jesus to that person when you've got a list that's reminding you of every reason in the world you shouldn't like that person? That's what he says. That's not what love is. It refuses to keep a list. Now, now I'm going to finish right here. You somebody say, well, what's this all about? Why is this important? Why, why does Paul tell us, number one, love is greater. It's greater than the things we say. It's greater than our actions. It's even greater than our faith. And then he goes on and says, this is what love is. Love's not about your words. It's about your actions. It's about things you choose to do. You choose to be patient. You choose to be kind. You choose to reject evil and, and rejoice in truth. And, and then you, you don't envy. You're not jealous. Any of those things. You refuse to do this stuff So in order that you may love. Why is all this important? Quick, open your Bibles and flip over to 1 John chapter 4. I want to read this to you, and then I'll be done. 1 John chapter 4. This is why. This is why Paul talks about love. It's why he'll go on to say that after defining all of this, he will say at the very end, he will say, after all is said and done, he'll talk about tongues and prophecy and knowledge, how all that will cease, and in the end there will be three things that are remaining, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. Why would he say that? Because I would have you know that faith is necessary for salvation. Hope is the hope of salvation. Why is love greater than those two things? I think John answers it in 1 John chapter 4. Listen to these verses, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the anointing sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, listen, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Why is love greater than all of that? Because it's the characteristic of God. God is love. His love is the reason that he sent Jesus. 
and the reason why we have faith and hope because he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came to us and gave us Jesus instead of leaving us to be wallowing and dead in our sins and our trespasses. And then he says, if, if, if God is love, and he did all this to prove his love, then we need to love one another.